So again, <coughs> um, please let me know if you if you'd rather your uh, if you want to ask a question and you'd rather that the, your question or the interaction wasn't recorded. Um, just let me know. I'll press pause. Anybody, please. Is that Nick? So let me let me see if I can summarize that. Um, <clears throat> Nick's saying that he's uh, getting very interested in the interface between the the senses or the images of self and healing the self and the emptiness of self and the different pathways that are sort of taught or offered through that. That mixture, would that be a way of rephrasing what you said? Yeah. Um, and so in some Buddha Dharma, um, for instance, may, maybe the, well, in some Buddha Dharma, um, there, there's this teaching that the self is, is empty, but it has this connotation, therefore, that it's kind of almost not worth bothering about. In, in the sense of the, the richness of the personality or the depth of the personality, it's just a, it's just a fabrication, it's just a construct, it's just an illusion. Um, and, and we're kind of op- opening that out to other possibilities. Um, Is there a question there? Is that what is what is what is being healed, or or yeah, that's the is that? 
it's important, but yeah. I wonder if we can just kind of, is it possible to? Yeah, it's kind of what is maybe what, what happens, like, like in, in your Okay, so um when you work in So in a way there's one pathway that maybe just let go of the self, it's irrelevant, just deconstruct it or see that it's empty and and that's sort of and then there's this this kind of uh, as you said, psychological sort of dictum or, or maxim. Well you have to have a self before you let go of it. And so one kind of builds that solid sense of self and a sense of self-identity and all that. And then maybe you do the emptiness stuff. And where does the imaginal come in in all of that? Is that, yeah? Okay, so, um, you, 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 you may pick up something common in, in sort of answers I give, which is like, yes, it's all good. <laughs> it's all, it's all like available, um, and helpful, you know, the different angles on things. I think, um, I don't really, I'm not really sure what to say right now about the middle one. Um, and are, are you saying that you feel ambivalent about that building, building up the self or what, what are you, what are you saying where you're at with that middle psychological dictum? Yeah. Well, it gets made, uh, it gets given dimensionality and it gets given a, a rootedness or a sense of origin in divinity for a start. Um, and that's huge. That's, that's absolutely massive. That's not the typical Western sense or idea of self. We don't, uh, we, we tend to be suspicious if someone has that kind of sense of themselves that somehow they're rooted in, in divinity. In a very, not not just in a in a kind of universal sense that we're all rooted in, we're all children of God, etc. We're all uh, part of the universal oneness of whatever that universal oneness stuff is. But in the very particular sense that you, with your um, the uniqueness of, of your manifestation, the uniqueness of your personality, the uniqueness of even the difficulties that you, that you encounter and the story of your life and the, and the, the, um, even the tragedies that you're handed or that I'm handed, um, that this is somehow, uh, we get a sense in, in this kind of middle way sense that that's given from the divine or given uh, to us in in our uniqueness our uniqueness our unique journey is uh neat, is is actually rooted in god has its origins in the divine use whatever language help, helps you here um i am an angel you you are a, you are angels all of that and the journey that i'm on or what's handed to me in my life this cancer that i might die of this this is somehow necessary to the divine now i'm not going to 
reify that and cling to it, but there's a kind of view and and actually a sensing with soul that I can enter into with something like this is a part of the narrative of my life. It's a it's a fact, but it's multi-dimensional and it has it's given place, given meaning, given depth, given divinity, given um, a sacredness that pertains to its uniqueness, your uniqueness. Do you, do you, do you understand? That's healing at a whole other level, a whole other level. And so it, it's like, I'll, I'll talk about me. Let's say I die from the cancer. Uh, there's a healing that happens at a whole other level, whether or not I die. Do, do you understand? So, and, and, um, some of the, um, less, less, uh, socially sanctioned, uh, kind of, corners and angles and protuberances and ways of our personhood um, might be, sometimes the healing is to soften them, to change them, to make them more, uh, uh, less less dukkha. And sometimes the healing is at another level. So-and-so is still an arrogant, uh, you know, So and so is still um, uh, belligerent. They're they're always like you know fighting for this cause and and being you know on the edge of being obnoxious or whatever it is. You know, it's like wh- what does healing look like? You, you sand everything down, so it's all it's all like ev- let's make everything polished and kind of bland and, and beige. Um, or or is it that there is an angel in that? in that very difficulty, somehow. And then, then the question is an open one, is like, okay, how much does it need, A, transforming, so that I'm not just stuck in something that's actually not soulful. So that's always the thing, what, what's soulful, you know? But also it's just not, it's just not kind of pointless dukkha, you know? Um, how much does it need to be transformed? How much does it need to be blessed by this other sense of it, you know? And the healing is, is in that. And, and also, how much freedom is there? Because the other aspect of healing might be, and this may be, also we could say where it ties in with emptiness, is emptiness of self, is to see that we're, we're multiple. That's why I said you're angels, you're not just one. Yeah. And so, um, there's not so much rigidity. You see how my personality or my, the, the patterns that I, that I, um, uh, uh, manifest in my life, in relationship, in thinking, in expression, in my work, in my the way I move my body. It's like they can get very rigid. It's just like okay, that that person just always, I always do things this way, and I realize I don't, I don't even realize that I'm stuck in it, or maybe I do realize. So one of the things with soul, and we've kind of implied this in what we've been saying, is that there's a certain freedom in just in having more range and having the flexibility I can have the light and I can have the dark I can have the um, the raging God and I can have the, the God of infinitely soft benevolence I can all as me and into me and through me and all that I can have the, as we said today the stillness and the movement that do you understand so I'm not I'm less fixated on one self being how I am and I open to the um, Hillman would call it the polytheism, the multiplicity of, of the angels that come through me, come through you, that speak to you, that want something from you. Yeah? And so there's something that's, um, 
liberating in the sense of breaking out of a rigidity and an enclosedness in in recognizing the multiplicity of of what's coming through me and what's being asked of me and what what my soul relationships are with, with angels divinities images etc yeah where that ties in with emptiness again this this uh, is a little bit related to what i said this morning is that so again with a certain kind of i would say not not fully uh, deep understanding of emptiness then then we say oh the self is empty therefore it's worthless therefore we kind of just kind of would be better off without it somehow and we have this image like a liberated person sort of doesn't have one or or they're kind of so what what, what is that um and is that even something that i i want you know so there's a kind of just it always put put down and put aside and kind of or it's tolerated we tolerate you have this personality keval has this personality it's okay it's just personality it's just form and we don't get too hung up about it. So it's kind of neither um, particularly attacked or or celebrated or seen as divine, this, the self and the, the expressions of the self. If we go deeper into emptiness, like I said this morning, you see that the very fact that any, any self-construction um, at all is empty means that I'm, I'm free to construct the self any old how. And if I'm strictly in a in a Buddha Dharma gear, I'll say the constructions of self are for the purpose of reducing dukkha. If I'm expanding that a bit more, and there's all questions here about paradigms and where they fit, but when we expand it a bit more, I could say the, the constructions of self at any time, the images of self can be in the service of soulfulness. And that may overlap completely with the with the the quieting of dukkha, the, the the dissolving of dukkha, or it might be it's not quite that simple. But the very fact of the emptiness of the thorough, complete emptiness of self, totally, um, a- any conception of self is empty, um, allows other other uh, um, allows us to to fabricate and the self to be fabricated in different ways, and we can just we see it's all play, it's all theatre, and and we can be moved by theatre and play and. Uh, it, you understand? Does, does it make sense? Um, what do you think? Is that the, yeah? Um, <laughs> good. Um, and and like you said, just to say what you said, and and then sometimes there's always this gear. You know, we're not kind of emphasizing it so much on this retreat. The last retreat. Um, partly because we called it of hermits and lovers the alchemy of desire. Uh, so we didn't want everyone kind of like, you know, blowing fuses and things. Um, so we, we just spent a day talking about letting go, you know. Is that, so that's a gear too. And and this gear of like, yeah, shoring up the self and, and getting a really solid sense of self, where my boundaries are and who I am and all that. To I go back to what I said right at the beginning, it's like, all good. All these directions are good. Sometimes I think, as a general point, you know, um, I, I want to say that um, it's a little bit like the only mistake we can make is is to only to be stuck in one way of seeing things, one way of thinking about the self or relating to the self, for example. Yeah, whatever that is, 
it won't it 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 doesn't have that flexibility that malleability the fluidity the the range that that is i think uh an uh, a result and an expression an embodiment of of freedom it's range flexibility in thinking in acting in relating in meditating in yeah so so i'm just echoing what you said that actually that they're all good yeah and and then the r is like when 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 is What's helpful when and in what ways? Is it? So yeah, really good insight, Nick. So basically, uh, Nick's saying that any, e- even if she's in the mode or or the thinking of shoring up boundaries and sh- shoring up the self and really setting boundaries and being clear about that, that's sort of something that is maybe more typical of modern psychology in the West. Um, then even that endeavor and even that way of way of viewing things can be in the language we've been using, can be sensed with soul. So that whole that whole idea and that whole movement and that whole in, endeavor and everything that's involved in that, it can have all the dimensionality and all the kind of, um, you know, divine referencing and context and blessing and sacredness and duty and all the other list business. Um, uh, it, it's the same thing, but it's seen with, it's sensed with soul. You understand? So, absolutely. And there's a big difference between that and, and seeing it more rigidly, um, which is still, can be still really, really helpful, seeing it more kind of flatly, if you like. Yeah? Yeah, good input. Thank you. Uh, ah, sorry. Um, yes, well, Robert had his hand up before, so I'll, I'll come back. Yeah, I'll try to. grateful if you could. Uh, explain how strong emotions other than love relate to sensing the soul. You mean more difficult emotions? Yeah, like grief and <clears throat> anger. Yeah, so the question is how um, strong emotions and more difficult emotions like anger or grief relate to sensing the soul. Uh, other difficult uh, Emotions other than love. and uh, uh, Yeah. So, first thing to say is, love can also be soulless, relatively, or yeah, everything's a spectrum. So, you know, I can uh, love some something, and it doesn't have that dimensionality and divinity. Yeah. So, love is a an aspect of sensing the soul, but it's not by itself enough. Yeah. Um, anger, for instance. Uh, Are you saying how would you work with it? Is the question, or just how does it fit con- yeah, conceptually? So it does it have a legitimate place at the table in addition to the twenty-eight notes? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I see. Yeah. Okay. So yes, yes. Um, it, it, what, but but it's more like um, it, it relates to Nick's question a little bit. It's like whatever is coming through can be um, 
spun off into Papancha can be ignored, dismissed, ridiculed, uh, transcended somehow, uh, um, or <laughs> or um, or related to in a way that that opens up soul. So we participate in everything. So it's not here is the anger. Let, We'll weave in the practice and the concept here. So here yes, I'm sitting. Maybe I don't even realize I'm angry at first. I just feel like hot and bothered, you know. Um, or maybe I feel depressed. Actually, it's, not, it's something about just like, you know. And then I, I say, okay, this is what's... The emotional awareness is absolutely indispensable. To It goes, it's like a absolute part of the foundation of, of, of the practice. So it's like I feel into <coughs> this depression, the kind of heavy cloud of it and and I'm just making this up as a possible and uh, and I feel that heaviness and it feels like something's pressing me down and I'm I'm with it and I'm just like man I feel I feel like I've been pressed down a lot in my life you know and then and then it's like you know what I'm 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 really pissed off at being pressed down I I I get angry at the being at the being the depression for instance yeah and then I'm with something slightly different. The depression has, has maybe got a depression and an anger. I'm just making up a possibility. Um, and says, so, okay, that's interesting. Let me feel into the anger. Energy body, what does it need? Maybe it needs love. Maybe it needs metta. That would be one approach. Maybe I just need to kind of let that anger be in the energy body and see what it does. And so there's kindness in the approach, but I'm not trying to change it. Okay, and I'm not either just watching it as sensation. And nor am I just well. Let, let's just say that. For me, yeah. So I'm. I've got energy body. I've got this. Maybe it feels like there's uh, there's these glowing embers in in my belly, and I and I feel and I can I can feel this, and it's mixed with frustration, and it's confusing, etc. I'm just with it, and I'm holding it. I'm letting something emerge in in the energy body, in the emotionality, in the way I'm tending to it. And then there's a lot of energy wrapped up in anger. A lot of uh, emotional energy and a lot of psychic energy wrapped up, and also in some depressions, it's actually it's a kind of energy that's just trapped and, and either attacking oneself or just locked. There's, there's not not all depression, but a lot of depression has a lot of energy. When I start relating to it in this way and, and being with it in the energy, when you're kind of being sensitive to it and and allowing it, uh, but in a, in a very intimate way. Um, then the energy, the psychic energy in the emotion may liberate an image. It may generate an image. So it was maybe just embers, and then out of the embers comes some kind of fiery, wrathful deity stomping around and roaring, and he's got trident and a nine-bladed sword and a, you know all the and and uh, all that. And uh, and maybe I'm a little bit scared of this, and maybe I feel like I've become that, or maybe he's looking at me and and engaging with me. Then I'm in in the realm of imaginal. Now, with that, um, as one of our uh, nodes business is is a sense of duty. So I'm going quite quickly here through the, um, but I might I then you know would engage this this figure, or either feel what it feels like to become that figure, or engage. Um, 
him is uh, in in relationship. I'm in in meditative, um, mindful, sensitive energy, body, emotional awareness to the reson- you know awareness of the resonance relationship. Or how does it feel to become this deity and to see the world and to feel the world? And what does the body feel like? And what do I feel like? At that point, when it has become imaginal, to the degree it has become imaginal, there's something felt, the anger could still be there, but it's, it's transformed, but not so much into love or softness or equanimity. It's become, uh, it's become a kind of wrathful deity. It's become a creative anger. There's, there will be a feeling of liberation. So, before, I mean, certainly in the example I just gave, started depressed, I felt, felt so, then when I feel angry, I start to feel a bit, bigger, but I still feel caught in the anger. So usually we have an unskillful relationship with anger, we just feel tied up in it, knotted in it. When it becomes soulful and imaginal, it doesn't feel like a problem anymore. And it's not that we just kind of give ourselves license to buy a shotgun and go out, <laughs> whatever, and just you know, shoot our mouths off. It's something's something's changed in the whole nature of, of what it is and what it feels like. And maybe there's a situation. Maybe I have felt depressed because I'm in a situation, uh, or I have been a long time in a situation, where the rules are, of the, the rules of the engagement in the organization or the family or the relationship or whatever, are actually constraining me. So I've got a situation that I'm actually angry about as well. Now, the imaginal... In, in this book, we have to be very sensitive and very very uh, attuned here and, and also careful. It might give me a duty and a perspective in relation to that situation. Do you understand? So, and that might look like I say something and it has not unkindness. There's a difference between unkindness and wanting to hurt. So the Buddha says non-cruelty is one of the three pr- primary uh, intentions in, in the Noble Eightfold Path. But it can be sharp, and it can be cutting, and it can be strong, and it can be powerful, and it can be angry, you know. But it's it's a very different thing, and the, the purpose of it is is uh, the sense of it, and the purpose of it, uh, and the whole experience of it is is much expanded, and again, given dimensionality and a rooting in divinity. Um, I mean, I was can't remember who I was sharing with this morning. It was Maywa, I think. And I, I, and some of you know this, I, I wrote a letter, um, many years, not many years ago, some years ago, it, to the Insight Meditation teachers, and it was about, um, climate change and, and what we're doing, or actually what we're not doing in relation to that. And, uh, it, it, it wasn't, it was, there was anger in it, and it was obnoxious, or, it would be easy to read it as obnoxious, and I could I could certainly see that way, and I think a lot of people found it that way. <laughs> and it certainly pissed people off, etc. I now I could be you know completely off here, but I don't regret doing it, uh, and with all whatever consequences it made, and I I think I will I will feel that till till I die. You know, there was something right about it, and right about the tone, and there was something to my sense, kind of archetypal coming through. I'm not saying that's the only answer. It was maybe part of a beginning of something that needed lots of other energies. But it felt at the time like there was anger there, there was frustration, etc. And there was a kind of calling that actually in this case needed to manifest. Now, if we go back to the example that we said before, it might be that the duty involved in this image is is just that. I've just opened it. I've just got a different sense of the situation. And I find that something's liberated. There's still the, the heat and the, the force and the, all that. But I don't feel I need to do anything. 
I, I could, but it's, I'm not being asked to, to do anything or manifest or speak. Or, um, and other times we do, <coughs> we do get a sense of some, some kind of duty that's involved in, in... Does this make sense? So it's not so much that anger itself is, it would be a node as much as, again... Anger, like anything else, is something that can be related to with more or less soul-making. Does that... So how does all that sound? It sounds... Yeah, it sounds clarifying and useful. Uh, okay, good. Um, and we could give a similar example with grief or whatever, but but I didn't... Does, is there any more, or...? I'm visited by a couple of images whose beauty and divinity seems somehow dependent on anger yeah. and grief, respectively. Ah, yeah. And regardless of how long I spend with them, yeah. they don't transmute into anything else. It stays yeah. in holy grief, holding a dead child. Right, right. And so, you know, is that not a part of life? There is tragedy in life, and and one can look at and conceive of tragedy in lots of different ways. As a kind of flat existentialist, you know, well, that that's life, you know. Or given soul. So again, it's not that somehow the child miraculously comes back to life and everything's rosy and happy forever and ever. Um, there's something in in that particular image that you're describing, um, that, that there, there is this holy grief, there is this re- redemption that happens without, without transformation. Is it that it's a transubstantiation more than a transformation? Um, so I don't, you know, it may be they change, and images can sometimes change, and sometimes over a long periods of time, long, long periods of time. Um, uh, but it may just stay that, and there's something iconic for you in those images, and they they've got something for you. They they're teaching you something. They're they're part of the soul making. And the mind can't quite wrap it. This this is really important. If the mind feels like it's figured it out, end of the you know. So it's it's always got this part of the beyondness. It's got this like there's just I I get it sort of, but I don't quite get it, and yet it speaks to me. It, it does something. You, you understand? So your job is, is, is opening to that, resonating with that, following that thread of, of sensibility and sensitivity. Do, does, yeah? Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, did you have your hand up for you? Uh, okay. Should we do that? Okay, last one. Yeah. I think I'm not the only one that's a relative to be a beginner to this, but I'm beginning to, to kind of bits are starting to coalesce. So I'm going to ask a simple question: What is soul? It's, I know you probably talked about this in umpteen recordings before. Yeah. Okay. So Jill, Jill, saying I'm I'm a beginner, and um, uh, I'd say we're all beginners actually, and I I would definitely say that about myself. Um, and the question is, what is soul? Okay, so it's um, the first thing to say is is just following on from what we said to Robert, and, and I think what I touched on at some point is if there's some really deep ideas in life that we will we will be poorer if we if we put them too much in a box. 
and, and we, we get a too polished, rigid, tight definition around. So it's like the concept has to have these elastic edges that I was talking about. And it has to be a kind of, it has to have some mystery and some, that's where its fecundity comes from. Um, so soul is a kind of nebulous concept at one level, yeah? Um, we could, so having said that, then we could say, um, soul is actually just shorthand for a kind of kind of experience which is all this business that we're talking about yeah so that's putting it as like it's not a thing at all it's just a kind of way of it so that's one one conception a second conception is uh without giving it inherent existence we say your soul is some kind of um entity or belonging to my being or given to me or bigger than my being some kind of entity whose operates in by seeing in these kind of, and sensing in these kind of ways that that we're talking about now that instrument or organ can get really shrunk it can get atrophied it can lose its blood supply and so that it barely functions in our life or it can grow and get powerful and get more facility and accessibility at, at sensing that way. So how does that sound? That sounds good. <laughs> sounds very good. So I'm assuming that all practices can be solved. All practices can be soulful. Y- y- yes. Um, um, yes, all practices can be because the, soul- the soulfulness is in the relationship to yeah. something. Okay. Um, so anything can be soulful. However, if I if there's a practice that has <coughs> built-in conceptual limits, yeah. that for example disallow imagination, yeah. disallow uh, any kind of they just have a rigid conception of how things are, um, then they will be soulful up to a certain point for you. If they're new to you, they're all very exciting. So you know, for example, I trained a lot in a kind of atomistic Mahasi style, like look at the moment-to-moment sensation of everything, it's moment-to-moment Vedana and consciousness and and all this, and the body is just atoms and all that. Now at first, that's, that's all very new and it's exciting and everything kind of explodes into this mist of atoms and it's all really fast <coughs> and it's like, it's thrilling. But then, then when the implicit or explicit teaching is, this is reality, that's it, Anything else is is kind of delusion and nonsense. Then, then um, the soul has kind of it. It's been stretched up to that point. It's like all this is new. There's the expansion of soul making there. The expansion of new vistas, new senses of things. The excitement of the eros. But then, when it's been there for a while, it there's no more soul making. So, so there's something dynamic in soul making. Something expansive. And if it reaches a wall, either it it pushes that wall outwards, so there's more territory, new discoveries, new new ideas, new perceptions, new senses of things, new ideas, new sense of self, new sense of the world. Pushes it, usually quite slowly, or it just blows through the damn wall and and and, and uh, I've talked about it's breaking the vessels. It just shatters things, and that can be a bit like whoa. Yeah. Um, and then and then maybe you get you build new ones, but bigger. They've got more range in them, or the walls are stronger than, than the dynamic of soul-making, and, and the, the psyche and the life just stay within those walls. Yeah. And then what happens? It gets stuck. Well, it, it's stuck, or so, something gets 
you know, it just it it what yeah the soul making dynamic doesn't and and then we feel that in our life but because we don't have that language in our culture we can't say and we don't have that concept of that's what's happening or that's what's not happening um so sometimes or oftentimes in our life so there's we're going to meet walls so even when we're not aware of it we've got walls of habit walls of um, energetics walls of conception walls of emotion you know that that will block our soul making that's normal and then again it's like okay what does this need or is it just going to stretch it smoothly and organically or slowly is it going to bust them is it going to take some other work to look at those walls and does this make sense <clears throat> so um yes we, we should probably probably end i know i didn't maybe we can do another day so let's have a bit of quiet to finish Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.